take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers. My name is Rachel Gilmore. I'm the Director of Recruiting, Assessment, and Training of Church Planters here at Path One at Discipleship Ministries. And I am super, super excited to welcome today's guests. We have Rachel and Benson. Do you guys want to take a minute and introduce yourselves? Tell us, you know, where you're planting where you, and where you are in this, this journey of house church stuff. We'll start with you, Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a pastor in Upper New York, and I serve in a pretty rural area. Um, And during COVID, we've just started uh, meeting in like Zoom house churches. So we're really just starting the very beginning of this process. Um, Although there's been a lot of years of work getting us to the point where we could do this. So that's where we're at. Awesome. That's exciting. I love it because it's a little different from you, Benson. You want to talk about where you are and we go way back, right? Decades yeah. Plus. Yeah. So uh, as said, my name is Benson. Uh, I am a church planter in Virginia. I live outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, and I pastor Revive House Church, which is a network of house churches that uh, was started in November of 2017. Uh, and we now, uh, have house churches, uh, across the world. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. And, uh, I love my life. I work from home and my dog sits beside me pretty much all day. Awesome. Well, my, you might see my boxer or hear him uh, as I'm working from home now too. This is a new reality. Yeah, aren't we me. all now, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, our furry friends. Um, okay, so I would love to hear from both of you when you first became interested in starting house churches. What was yeah. what intrigued you? I'll go first on this one. Uh, so I had no intention to start house churches. Uh, I was asked to come plant a satellite campus for a large growing church up in, we we call it Nova, Northern Virginia, which is the urban sprawl outside of DC. Uh, We moved up here and sort of the background that was given to us wasn't quite accurate. Um, And so our job was to do the typical church planter thing uh, go start a church in a school or a shopping center, one of those things. Uh, every single school in our area had a church in it already, except for one that was directly next to like this huge mega church in our area. So I was like, probably not the most effective place to go. Uh, and so that sort of began, I'm going to take a really long story and make it short, but that just began a season of discernment about basically saying, Uh, maybe planting a pop-up church in a school isn't actually the best thing. And if those were working, surely uh, more people in our area would know Jesus. Uh, But they all like, I mean, they were your typical church in a school. They were averaging somewhere between, you know, 30 to 75 people and just sort of chilling. Um, And so uh, full disclosure, I was like moving up here in my mind Like I was going to be the next like Mike Slaughter, the next Adam Hamilton. I was like, I have a really awesome worship leader. And I was like, he's going to play. I'm going to preach. And like by the thousands, they're going to come to know Jesus. Uh, And then I just like in prayer and discernment, like heard God uh, say to me while punching me in the face, um, 
like I didn't, I didn't call you to be a big church pastor. I called you to make disciples. And uh, that began this like really long journey for me of wrestling with what is church and specifically this idea of like, Jesus changed the world by investing in, let's call it 15 to 18 people. You had 12 disciples, a few loyal followers tied in with that, but not a whole lot. And um, I was just sort of like, man, maybe Jesus's model for doing things is better than mine uh, or better than ours. And so I really just started thinking like, well, what's that look like? And what sort of, if, if what I'm going to try and do with church is truly make disciples and sort of intense commitment disciples. Uh, what sort of system do I have to build or am I being called to build to accomplish that goal? And so uh, house churches, it, it wasn't like I went into this being like, I'm going to start a house church because that's hip and trendy and cool. Uh, it was really about saying, what is God calling me to do? Okay, how, what's the system that, that's going to best fit that? Uh, and so just in prayer and discernment, I just heard God say one night, uh, like, just start a church in your house and go from there. And then I said back to God, because I'm way too full of myself, I said, but what about when it gets too big for my house? Uh, and then God said back, uh, well, just start another house church. And so I was like, oh, this is, we're on to something here. Uh, yeah, so uh, out of that, we sort of had a leadership team, and I had to tell my whole leadership team, like, we're not doing this school thing anymore. Like, we're doing it in homes. And I just shared my vision and my heart and what God had like put on my heart. Uh, and honestly, everyone was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And so uh, we've had our ups and downs. I can give the whole longer story later. Uh, but then in November, so that was in, that all started in July. And then in November, we launched our very first house church. Wow. And how many house churches do you have now and where are they located? Yeah, so I have three house churches now located in um, Northern Virginia, and then I have a fourth house church uh, located in Germany, uh, and then in the, this fall, the goal is to launch three more house churches. Those will all be in Northern Virginia. Um, and what about you, Rachel? How did you first get interested in this house church movement? Um. Well, I started my uh, first house church in seminary, but it was not really like something that took off. Um, that was over 10 years ago. We gathered weekly for Advent and Lent, but it was really, I was really limiting it as a leader because I was planning it all and doing all the invitations and all of the program and just doing all of the micromanaging of the whole thing. And um, it just really didn't take off at all. And then coming out of seminary, I was asked to plant um, with a church whose building had just been burned down by arsonists in a rural community. They wanted to do this like um, uh, new church plant in a school, in a, an old school building. And um, that also flopped like miserably. Um, the church was very upset with me and you know, people came out of the woodwork and they just wanted to rebuild their church. And I really tried to push the church plant thing and it just, it flopped and they ended up closing like a year later. So that was my first experience of failure. And then um, I, I guess I then spent a lot of time learning about 
house churches, but also about church planting and the church system and how to kind of um, take an existing church and try to plant out of that existing church. Um, as a pastor, I really love my people like very deeply and I don't want to abandon them just by like going off and planting something else. And I don't want them to feel abandoned. So I want to work with them to plant and, and work with them to change the system. Cause that's really what discipleship is all about to me. Um, and I, I kind of been thinking about this like impending, what are we calling this? Like <laughs> the failure of our current church structure. <laughs> and like, we've also kind of seen this coming for a long time probably. Um, but we don't really have a clear vision of how to rebuild the post-separation United Methodist Church. Um, and I think that house churches are like the building blocks for the rebuilding. And at least in my, uh, in my conference in Upper New York, we're really needing some resources for how we're going to rebuild. We're, we've already lost a lot of our leadership over the last couple of years, and we just are... Um, we're trying to organize and figure out what the next steps are going to be and how churches are going to be a key component to that. So I want to set an example for Upper New York, at least, and um, just trying it and seeing how it goes from my existing church. So I'm really interested to see what God's going to do with, with my little church out here in Norwich. That's great. And you have like this detailed plan, like on your website, the video, and then all the guides. And so what does training look like when you're trying to train house church leaders? Because something I love about this whole house church movement is it's kind of living into the only time that Methodism was growing rapidly in America when you had laity who were leading all of your bands and class meetings and everything else. And then the clergy person would just ride the circuit, you know, but what does it look like to train and equip house church leaders in this day and age? What does that entail? Benson, you want to tackle this one with some of the other house churches you started? What does that process look like? How do you train them? How long does it take? Um, yeah, so I, um, I, I think there's like three things for me that like go into training a house church leader. Uh, the first is time. And if you look at a lot of the ways that like we quote unquote invest in our leaders, uh, that equates to an hour a week, maybe at a Starbucks, uh, now currently on the phone, right? And uh, what have you ever gotten good at in your entire life by only doing it for an hour a week? And like, for me, I, I think there's a part of this, like I, I like to challenge the system and I don't mind doing that, where I think a lot of times, uh, we just drop the definition of something until it matches what we're already doing, opposed to like being accountable and challenging ourselves to say, uh, what does it actually mean to develop a leader? And again, I'm going to go back to this whole Jesus thing. Like Jesus spent way more than an hour a week with his disciples. You know, it's like, man, how'd they get good at church? Or like, how'd they get good at the faith? Like, well, maybe because they did it more than an hour a week. Uh, so for me, it's like time and it's a massive time investment in my leaders. And it's also a huge sacrifice. Like I met with one of my leaders for three hours last week. We started meeting at 10 PM because that's when his kids finally went to bed and we could meet, you know, like, uh, so I just stay up and drink coffee. Like it's about adjusting myself to be able to like fully, uh, to fully invest in them. Uh, 
and there's not like a set time that I'm working with. It's just I'm thinking how much time can I pour into them? So like I don't I don't have like a two hour a week, three hour a week. It's it's none of that. It's just how much time. Like some of which is just purely building relationships and others of which is actually like uh training them and, and what I think they need to do as leaders. Uh the next thing is it's about like allowing them to experience leadership. So a lot of the ways that like when we do house church, I don't need to do everything. Um and I don't force myself to do everything. I ask people to take leadership within the service so that by the time I'm even like saying, Hey, have you thought about leading the house church? Uh, I have unknowingly allowed them to be practicing leadership. And then uh, the final piece is, and, and to me, this is actually the biggest piece, uh, which it's about spiritual gifting and also like where they are spiritually. Uh, the, the number one thing I look for in a leader is like them to have a heart for God. And if they have a heart for God, I think I can do something with that. And I know the spirit can do something with that. And then, then I look at like, okay, where's their spiritual gifting? And then either what do they need to grow in to become a house church leader? Or who do I need to bring alongside them to, uh, to like, complement and fill out that ability to lead a house church. So some of my house churches are led by like a single family and other of our house churches are led by multiple families purely based on uh, their gifting. Awesome. Um, Thank you for sharing that. And I like where you talked about that leadership model. It reminds me of like the whole Ferguson exponential thing of I do, you watch, we talk, I do, you help, we talk. You know, you do, I help, we talk, you do, I watch, we talk. And, and where you're training and preparing them so they're not surprised when you come to them and say, hey, I think you're ready to lead a house church. Yeah, so. I, I like to think like what we're doing, it's like the Ferguson model, just like injected with like an intense amount of the Holy Spirit, right? So if you look in Acts when Paul's training the church, like sometimes he's with a person for like months, if not years. Other times he's... <sighs> Uh, he's with the person for like not very long at all, but he still sends them out to start a church. And, and that's where I think there's like this spiritual component and letting the spirit guide that. And also um, to say like, there's not like a checklist we're trying to hit and train our leaders, because I think a lot of times the reason we don't succeed is because we're so afraid to fail. And so it's like, I have to train this leader until they're 100% ready and I know they're going to launch a successful house church. Uh, well, if that was the case, like, look at all the epistles Paul's writing to crappy churches who like, like that's not a 100% success rate, you know? Uh, if not, like, we wouldn't have a whole chunk of the New Testament. And so for me, it's like, if the Spirit says this person's ready and like, we've done what this, we feel like the Spirit's calling us to do and investing in this person, then yeah, let's go get it started. And, and we might stumble and trip and fall and bounce around all over the place. But like eventually if, if the heart is there, if the spirit's there, the discernment's there, like God's going to write that and keep it going. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to name that reality of failures. You know, we all hear that like what 75% of church plants still make it past the 18 month or three year, year mark. And the same is true for house churches, like even Francis Chan, right, who shifted to this house church model. I heard him talk a few years ago and out of his initial like four people that he was pouring into and mentoring, like three of them a year later were not affiliated either with the faith or with what yeah. he was doing in any way. So if so, Francis Chan struggles, you know, we might face that as well. So, so like Rachel, with you, you're just starting out. How are you thinking about training leaders intentionally? What is this going to look like for you? What's the process? So I'll try to get there through like um, telling you how, how we got to this point. So like, um, you know, our definition of discipleship is um, changing the way that we live and interact with our community to align with Christ's values. And um, we, I talk all the time about how discipleship can't happen on like as individuals, we have to do this in community. Um, and we talk constantly about change. And a lot of people will come to our, our small groups and talk about things that they want other people to change. And so the model that I keep giving back to my people is a model of discipleship that we change ourselves and change the way that we live our lives. And that will make an impact on those closest to us. Um, and that will make an impact like a ripple effect impact. Um, and of course we need to change systems too, but really the first part of discipleship is, you know, changing yourself from the inside out. So we've been doing that through small groups that I've been leading and I've been modeling for my congregation. And I have a key group. I kind of identified um, our key leaders and our early adapters and mixed them together and have been leading them in this small group for the last like year. And um, once we kind of had to shut everything down for COVID, we continued to meet online, but the configuration of people kind of changed a little bit. So people kind of came out of the woodwork during this. and. Um, I continue to meet with them through all of this and have identified this group as our first house church. We switched the way that we were meeting. First of all, we had to talk about it for a while, you know, like two months of discussing the, the house church and whether or not it was something that they wanted to participate in and what it looked like and just kept talking about it over and over again. And um, we got to a point where we were willing to try it out together. So I've been modeling it for them. And um, our, like for me, leadership development is about modeling over and over and over. It's that relationship piece. And um, I also provide like multifaceted uh, ways of learning. So we've got, gone through like every single step of the way. I provided a worksheet for this group where we talked for one of our whole meetings. It was just um, talking through how to plan for a house church. So like all of the questions on this worksheet were like, who are you going to be hosting this house church with? Where are you going to host it? All of the like detailed questions. Um, and now they have a resource. They have the experience of walking through it with me and they also have a resource to take home. And um, I have a, a handbook for house churches. We have a, a slightly more developed one that we're distributing to other leaders in our conference that are um, interested in this kind of 
ministry in their local churches. But the one that we have on our website has an overview for people that are kind of interested in house church and want to know what it is before they engage in one. Um, guidelines for gathering. We have a covenant worksheet, which actually I'm, I'm going and modeling this for folks for their first gathering or for their first couple of gatherings. So that even when we have, we start launching more of these house churches, I'll be modeling it for them, helping them to develop their covenant. Um, and oh, we also have like a consent form for in-person. We don't have any in-person gatherings yet, but we developed our task force, developed this like this uh, consent and it, it's a screening and consent form for COVID. So that uh, I don't know if the rest of you all in your states have to um, have on file these like extensive plans for reopening. Do you? Yeah. New York state is pretty strict. <laughs> so we have, we have so many things we have to have. So we have to have these like consent forms on file and everybody has to take their temperature before they can meet. Anyway, that's beside the point. As we move forward, um, so we're going to be meeting as a house church for the summer. And then in the fall, the plan is that they'll be breaking off into groups of two and going through that process. Um, and we'll be checking in every week as they go through that process as a team. Um, and I mean, ultimately the idea is that hopefully within 18 months, we'll have some, one of these house churches find a new expression of the same, um, house church form, um, and maybe be able to lift up a licensed local pastor out of that for a church plant, which would be great. But right now where we're at is um, everybody gets the same order of worship. They can download that along with my, my video sermon and it walks through with instructions on the order of worship. Like this is how you um, gather and the, the hosts of the house church ask people to like self nominate, like I'll leave the joys and concerns. I'll leave the prayers of the people. I'll read the scripture. and there's just a, a number of different things that people can participate in the leadership. Um, that way they get that same practice that Benson was talking about practicing leading so that it's less intimidating when you ask them to apprentice as a house church host. Um, when we get to the point where the house churches are like on the ground and growing, then the host pairs will split into two and then apprentice a new leader. So there's that multiple multiplication system built in as part of our training. Love it. And house churches, you know, I love that we're referencing acts like they've been around forever. We're just now with COVID being forced to consider this more seriously. So both of you were either practicing or planning this house church um, approach even before COVID-19. But, um, but this is a new reality for many, many churches because it is a way to gather safely and you do have that flexibility. So I'm going to make sure that I share the link to your website. Or actually, if you want to put that in chat, Rachel, I'll make sure I put it out with the podcast and everything so people can access these resources, the handbooks, because there are practical things to think about, you know, as and checklists and consent forms so that you're in accordance with all of your state guidelines and everything else that's going on. Um, but house churches are so powerful, so important. I, I've heard uh, Ralph Moore talk a lot. He's like a four square guy, but there are like 2,500 
churches that trace their origin back to his mentorship. And he followed a similar approach to what you guys are talking about, where he would gather and invest time more than an hour a week uh, in a small group of people. And they would just do three questions together. Every time they gathered, they would say, you know, what did you learn about this week in our, in our time of worship together when you listen to the sermon or, or in your own personal study? Um, you know, what was God saying to you? And then why was God saying that to you? And what are you going to do about it? Because really, that's what it means to be a disciple, right? To be in tune to God's voice, to knowing God is guiding you to change your lifestyle, as you mentioned, Rachel, like live like a follower of Jesus. Um, and are you going to be obedient to that? So this is super exciting. I want to um, make sure that we have time for like questions and all these nuts and bolts stuff. So what does, I? we heard a little bit about the order of worship that you mentioned, Rachel, with the scriptures, the joys and concerns and prayers and whatnot. And, and the recorded sermon. Benson, do you record your sermon? Like, what does house church look like for you? Order of worship. Yes. Uh, so I'll say this. Um, anyone is, sometimes planters come, they visit our house churches. Any of y'all, if you really want to fly or drive all the way out here, can come. Uh, we love having guests. But uh, it's probably the most unimpressive thing you'll ever see. Uh, just a heads up. Uh, so we gather together. Um, I don't know. We just sit around and talk for a while. And then when it's time, we uh, actually move into our service, which generally starts with uh, some form of singing. So some of my house churches have in-person worship leaders uh, and other house churches use uh, YouTube videos that we create once a year um, that they sing along to, which sounds awful, but uh when you're committed to being there, it's like totally cool. And they sing their hearts out to a TV screen. Uh, then there's a time for teaching, which is, that's like what we would call preaching. Uh, sometimes I do that. Uh, other times I do not. So like, I, I think one of the challenges in the church today is uh, basically uh, I, I believe that like speaking God's word is, is like super important, but I also believe that like, the spirits can speak through anybody. And so one of the problems in church today is uh, we basically have said this one person will share this one message and let's hope the spirit spoke to them. And they might've planned it out six months ago. Like that, I just don't think that's how the spirit speaks. Um, and so sometimes like I have a message and I, I give that message and I preach it other times uh, I literally will just say, I feel like the spirit gave somebody else a word. Let's start there. Uh, and so all of my house churches throughout the week are doing the same reading plan. Um, and so it's, it's not like someone's going far off and left field and just starts talking about some random thing. Like it, it's coming out of scripture that we've all been reading throughout the week. Um, but I mean, a majority of the time I am the one preaching. Uh, then we have a discussion based on the scripture we were spending time in. Then we pray together, which uh, usually takes a while some, and looks different. We do all sorts of different types of prayer. Then we break bread with communion. Um, and then that's the end of our service. But either before that or after it, just depending on the house church, we also share a meal together. Uh, but we are very intentional in our, with our meals and supper church people out there. I'm sorry. Uh, there is zero religiosity in our meal. Uh, I find that the meal is best for just purely building community and building relationships and then allowing the spiritual conversation to happen 
uh, during our actual house church like service, which we call a gathering. I love that. And there's a variety of approaches again. And so you can make this fit your context. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. I mean, that's like, to me, that's the key in all of this. It's like what worked best for us. Uh, I don't think what works best for us is like the end all be all answer to, to everybody, like what they need to be doing. So what works best for both of you guys or what are you planning? What have you done um, when it comes to kids? What do you do with kids in house church? Do they go and learn separately? Do you tailor the environment so that they have a way to engage in the conversation? Yeah. So we, um, so uh, I had an experience when I was a youth director in which uh, we got a bunch of our youth to start reading their Bibles. And then the parents called a meeting with us and ask us to stop doing that because uh, it was making them feel bad and their kids were asking them why they didn't read their Bibles. And that like set deep inside my soul as like a formative moment. Um, and so we, uh, we don't have any kids ministries. And in fact, our house churches don't have any program ministries whatsoever. And we do our best to never program anything. Uh, so our kids are present in worship. Uh, the entire time we encourage our kids to speak during worship and we encourage the families throughout the week to be reading those scriptures with their kids and talking through it with their kids. Uh, and so like this year, our house churches are reading through the whole Bible in a year. Um, and all of my families have like found ways to do that with their kids. Um, and so I, I think it's super cool. I think it's super meaningful to not just say like kids are welcome in worship, but to actually give them a place to speak and ask questions. Because uh, if, if you look at the stats, 70% uh, of the kids who grow up in church stop going in college and 50% of that 70% come back 10 years later, basically when they have kids, uh, which is a cycle of just losing people. Uh, and most of the reason that when they say, why didn't you go back? It's a variety of, I didn't actually participate in church. Uh, no one really answered my questions. and I didn't have a place to ask questions. And so basically we tried to say like, how can we keep the kids as present as possible, encourage the parents to actually invest in their kids uh, and then allow the kids to ask any question they have and participate in the full experience of house church. Uh, what about you, Rachel? Your plans for house church and kids? Yeah, so right now um, we don't have summer like youth or children's programming, and we're also rebuilding from like nothing our children's programs. Um, and when I say children's programs, I mean like Sunday school um, confirmation. They haven't had a confirmation class in years, and so we're doing doing that. Um, but for as far as kids go with house churches, what I really want to see is in-person gatherings. Um, right now, we, it's not safe for us to be doing that. And the kids that we have are really, we don't want to have them having more screen time. So they're right now, they're just like writing letters to each other, which is adorable. But <laughs> that's like the best we've got right now. But my hope is um, as soon as it's, kind of safe for us to be meeting, that my family will be the first host in an experimental, family-friendly house church. Um, and we're, we're just going to figure it out together. That's kind of the plan for all of this, isn't it? We 
figure out as we're going and yeah. learn and talk about it together and just keep going. I, I do want to say one thing, like one more thing on the kid note. I, I tell families when they come to our house church, uh, you will be embarrassed by your kids and nobody else will be. So I, I don't want to make it seem like we have like perfect children sitting around. Uh, like the kids are there, they're participating, uh, but they're like making noise or like playing with like blocks or coloring books, like while we're going, it's, it's not a quiet, peaceful environment. But what we found is uh, because everybody is so committed to being there for the reason uh, they're able to like, just toss out all of those quote unquote distractions that a kid would be. And so, I mean, it really is true. People come and they're like, oh my gosh, my kid was so noisy. And then their second time there, they realize everybody's kid's noisy, but everybody's still able to just zone in in the midst of it. Yeah, I've kind of like, I've been thinking a lot about this. I have a a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, like until really recently, I was a single mom. And so I was like a month ago. (laughs) And like... I was leading my church with these two kids by my side all the time and they're great, but there's that like distraction piece. And I've been really thinking about this as like not letting it be a distraction, but really like just letting it be um, a practice of grace for myself and for the kids and for everybody else. And just the fact of living with kids and doing ministry with kids around and being present to the kids and not to whatever our like thoughts are in our head. Cause I'm a very like head oriented person. I like to, I get sometimes like, I'm going to admit to you something this morning. My, my youngest was going at my oldest with a baseball, not a real baseball bat, like one of those wiffle bats starting to get at her with one. And I was sitting there like on the back porch doing my work. And I didn't even, I didn't even notice because I was so focused in my head. And that to me is not where I want to be. And so I'm just thinking about how, um, like my vision of a family oriented house church incorporates the kids, not to necessarily focus on them and program something for them, but to really just like re like shift how we are with our kids in our own families and in our churches. And hopefully that'll have like a ripple effect into the community because, you know, like the way that we school kids is really out of sight, out of mind. And the way that we employ people is send the kids off to childcare and COVID is really exposing some of our systemic injustices against children and families. And like the house church model can actually help us learn how to be better citizens. And now I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> I love that. And it might also give parents, especially if we're in lockdown and kids are learning virtually, a chance to just go and let them loose for a little while and, um, and co-parent together with everybody else in that house church environment. So I love that. That's fascinating. Okay, so what are, um, in no particular order, Rachel or Benson can hop in first on this, the top three best things about house churches and then the top three struggles, like the struggle is real when it comes to a house church network. Go. Rapid fire. Okay, I'll go. Um, so like the top three best things for me are all about relationship. You know, vulnerability is really great in house churches. 
um, sharing joys and concerns and people really feel like they can share openly. Um, our house church model has a time for reflection. So we ask some really interesting questions to each other and, and that can really be a helpful growing space. Um, accountability also is a really great part of house churches where that you don't really get in a larger like corporate model church. And to me, house churches provide the small group setting where discipleship uh, thrives. Like we really become disciples in small groups, um, having those like covenant relationships with each other. But like on the flip side, the struggles are the exact same thing, like resistance to being vulnerable um, and resistance to accountability and resistance to really like aligning your own life with your values in Christ. And that resistance becomes the, the systemic resistance against a growing house church model. Um, and if you're working in an existing congregation like I am and trying to plant out of it, that's the biggest struggle is um, individuals and groups really pushing back against um, against the whole the whole model and just wanting to go back to the way things were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I agree with everything Rachel just shared. For for I think I'll do the struggles first, and I'll do the positives. I think there's two ways to look at the struggles. The first is like your internal struggles with house church. Like when you're, when you're in the house church, what's hard. And then the external, then I think there's external struggles. So uh, to me, the internal struggles are like the amount of energy and time commitment you have to put into it. And so like my house churches, none of our house churches have a time limit to them. So like tonight we have a house church People will be at my house. It starts at 645. People will be at my house until midnight. Uh, my wife goes to bed. What? I go in my office and work. And they just stay in my living room and chat and spend time together. Uh, but like that's a commitment we made because of how much we're bought into the model. And I tell that to most pastors and they're like, you're insane. And yeah. I tell them, you're trying to do ministry with uh, as easy as possible. So take that. Uh, anyways, uh, then I think the other, the other challenges are you get all kinds of people in house church. So um, I have anti-vaxxers in my house church, uh, and I have people as far left as you can possibly get. Now, I think that's the beauty of house church, that they can gather together and invest in each other's lives. But it takes a significant amount of work to make sure everybody actually stays committed to loving each other. Um, and the truth is, when you say, hey, everybody's welcome in the church, uh, you're actually mean, hey, everybody's welcome in the church. Uh, so, so far, everybody's like gotten along, and that's awesome. But that takes effort. Uh, and then I think the final struggle is, similar to what Rachel was saying, even people who are committed to the house church model, like there's always the tendency to want to go back to check the box program ministry. Like I, I attended worship. Now I want you to create a mission project for me. Now I want you to create a discipleship activity for me. Uh, opposed to saying, no, I want to encourage you to go find ways to serve. And so there's always the tension to pull back to what we know. The external struggles with house church are uh, you get labeled a small group and not a church which um, just open your Bible and that should answer that question. Uh, But it happens. 
the other struggle that you get with it is uh, I spend like a quarter of my time making sure we don't turn into a cult. Like there's like, cause people who don't understand house church are like, let me get this straight. You sit in your living room, eat a meal together, sing Kumbaya, like have a candle lit. And then everyone goes home and you have these weird deep relationships with people. Like it sounds like a cult. Uh, and so you have to, like, there's a genuine investment, especially to people who don't know church, like to saying, no, this is not a cult. Uh, I wish I was kidding with that. It happens. Uh, and then I think the final thing is, um, it's a struggle with like right now, um, obviously I believe in house church, but it's like a really trendy thing. And I don't think it should ever be done just because it's trendy. I think it should be done because God's calling you to do it. And so it's like super, I know a ton of pastors right now who are just like, I want to start a house church. And I'm like, do you actually, or do you just want to do it? Cause it's cool right now. Um, and, and that's something that I think people have to constantly wrestle with. What makes house church awesome though, uh, is one, um, for us, like we said, we didn't want a sheep trade, which means like, if I don't want someone to leave their church just to come join my church, like, the only people we want in our house church are people who have chosen to stop going to church or have never been to church before. Uh, and in fact, we are like 75% unchurched or dechurched people. And so it totally can reach people who want nothing to do with big buildings and boxed churches, uh, which I love. The second thing is it just lets you have an honesty with people that I don't think regular church does or typical church does. Uh, I was meeting with one of my key leaders and uh, the other day, and I just straight told him, uh, I think you're horrible at hospitality. <laughs> um, and he was like, yeah, I think you're right. And I was like, let's find out who to partner you with. So you can be it's like, so that they can do the hospitality piece for you based on their gifting. And I, uh, I worked in a big church for uh, several years I could never just tell one of my leaders they were bad at something, right? You have to find an encouraging way, sandwich it in between two compliments, don't offend them, make sure their giving continues, all that crap, you know? And it's like, uh, why don't we just call it like we see it? And why don't we be honest with each other? Because we already know we love each other and we're committed to something. And house church just like lets you have that. Uh, it lets you have that ability. Um, and then finally, I think it, to what Rachel said, it just lets you actually focus on discipling people opposed to having to invest all this energy and just keeping something going. Awesome. Um, so I have one last question, which is one that just kind of came up as we've been talking. And then if anyone listening in, if you guys have questions, feel free to put them in the chat or just ask them directly. But I know a big question that I didn't think about beforehand, but might apply. You guys might have insight is, do you do offering at house church? Like are house churches sustainable to pay a pastor's salary? Like, or do you have to be co-vocational, bivocational if you want to take this approach? Uh, yeah. So we, uh, so we practice giving because uh, we're Christians and you should do that. So um, everybody in our house church gives uh, because that's part of being uh, in our house church. We do not take an offering during house church. Everybody gives online. Uh, do I think it's possible to do it? Um, I, I think you could do it full time or I think you could do it bivocationally. 
I, I do it full time, but I'm also on a grant. And um, so I have like the ability to work towards self-sustainability, which we're on track for. Um, but I, when I talk to other planters about it, like if you feel a call to do bivocational ministry and do house church, I think it's 100% possible. We also have like creative ways of supplementing house church. So my wife leads a, um, some nonprofit clean water work. And uh, we, take, we take the uh, money we would receive for uh, being the executive directors of that and we just fully give it to house church. Uh, so it's semi-bivocational. Um, but I, I think it's each person's choice. So my vision for house churches is for each house church to hold each other accountable for their own giving in um, various ways, not just financially. But I am like, I'm really excited about this question because I have thought a lot about it. <laughs> um, and I think that in building a network of house churches, um, the, the leaders of house churches can be, um, you know, more closely connected to like a central hub church, but then it also is a way to really plant um, new expressions of the house churches as well. And in that case, as new expressions come out, um, I really want for us to have licensed local pastors leading those churches. And so to lead, to um, lift up licensed local pastors and to train them and to get them ready to start churches that will plant new churches um, on their own, still connected to a central uh, parish. And this is kind of like a cooperative parish model that um, is a lot flatter than our current like district system. Um, I think, I think in my talking with a lot of licensed local pastors, they, at least in our conference, we rely on them really heavily because we don't have a lot of funding for elders. Um, we just have a lot of really poor communities and licensed local pastors really, um, a lot of them do already work bivocationally and they get really bogged down with um, the current level of administration and running a local church that are like our local churches are already declining, but their passion is they really want to reach more people. They want to reach their communities. They don't want to itinerate and they, they want to learn how to church plant, but they don't have time when they're working bivocationally. So what I envision is like these cooperative parishes led by elders and deacons working part in partnership um, to both build the structure and connect the structure with the community. And then the church planting being done through licensed local pastors who really have a heart for um, reaching their communities, staying in their communities, building new expressions of these house churches, but without having to be bogged down by the high levels of administration that it, it does take to have a connected system. Um, and the connected system in the United Methodist Church is part of our key for changing the world and changing our communities too. Um, and not every individual house church leader is also called to like work with the big picture system. And that's totally fine. We, we need all of these different leaders working together. So I think some work bivocationally and some don't. And that's part of the key. I think that's great. I love that giving is just a part of discipleship. And so people give and 
that can help support the ministry. I, I know non-denominational house church networks do something similar where they will start a house church and they'll say, listen, we want to continue to mentor you, offer you those resources, offer you, you know, sermons that you can show or whatever else, guidelines, principles, um, encouragement. And so there's like a, a membership fee that you pay as a house church to the network so that you can continue to receive all those resources. And that just offsets the cost of the ministry because house churches are harder to get to the self-sustainability point. I mean, Benson, you started in 2017. You're from Virginia. I know Virginia is pretty good, like with funding and encouraging. Not everyone has that opportunity, but it's great to know you're reaching that self-sustainability point, but it takes more than the 18 months to three years that other churches church plant right. paradigms experience. So, so it's hard. The struggle's real, but with COVID happening, this is the model a lot of folks are turning to right now because it is a safe way to still gather, get that connection that you're missing with letting the kids run around and, and see friends and to have that time of fellowship. Although I don't know, Benson, I don't know if, if I could have people in my house till after midnight, I turn into a pumpkin like around 10 o'clock. <laughs> so I'm going to have to ponder whether or not a house church is in my future. Um, but any other questions that anybody has or things you want to share? Anything that we need to know about before we end our time together? When we did house churches, just so you know, Rachel, the one that we did in Roanoke and the one we did in Blacksburg, folks were at our house till 9 or 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would cut the kid. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Just like that. Huh? <laughs> I would have to cut the kids off and, you know, put them to bed. But like that, that's pretty commonplace depending on it. And ours was a fully bilingual model. Wow. And I, I think that's important for Americans to realize that sometimes we're really bad at relationships and just coexisting in space together. And so it is kind of a beautiful gift to say, well, you're welcome into my house and I'm not going to kick you out or look at my watch when, you know, an hour has passed and I want to binge watch something on Netflix instead of be in relationship with you. So it's a way of holding those house church leaders accountable as well. So, um, Thank you guys so much. I'm so grateful. Rachel, you're going to be like, never email me ever again. Cause you're like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm like, and so you want to sit down and be interviewed in, you know, five days about this. And um, I'm picking on Benson again. He was, we're both, we were in the same district together. So it's exciting to see all that you've done and how um, lives are truly being impacted and changed by your ministry. So you guys are both a blessing. I'm so excited for you. And for those who are listening to the podcast, you can find all of Rachel's resources for house churches um, on her website. It's Broad Street, Broad ST, UMC Norwich.org. And they have the handbook for house churches there. So uh, make sure that you check that out. Thank you guys so much for your time today. And for all those listening who are about to embark on the house church movement for the right reasons, not because it's popular, but because it's a way to transform lives and make disciples. We hope that this was helpful. So thank you guys. Have a wonderful day. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.